0: Well, great to see you all in Watford. Oh, my goodness, my church is gonna die that I got to preach at the cathedral. And uh, <laughs> had I known you are all gonna be here, I would have had chocolate macadamia nuts for you all. I did bring a whole mess, but, but Mike wanted them, so you don't have any. Um, I wanted to um, show you a quick picture of my family and just to say who I left to be here. And uh, Quinn is on the bottom left, your left, And he was an intern here for a year, uh, traveling with Mike. And then you see Pam in the middle. And then Noelle, my daughter. She normally lives in California. And then my son Dylan up there. Dylan normally lives in New York. And then our two little doggies, Max on the left and Molly. In America, those are the two most popular names of all dogs. We didn't know that when we got them. So amazing. Um, I'm just going to do a a kind of a a, a testimony. And... um, uh, and at certain points, I hope it'll be incredibly practical for you all. And my desire is that you'll have a tremendous amount of, of hope uh, through this all, that whatever tough time you're going through, you're going to see that God can be present and you can have tremendous hope. It's been a really hard last two years. And, um, and I know everyone has worked so hard and we've all been set back in a variety of different ways. So I pray that this uh, talk will help. Um, and for me, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home through my sister. I became a, a Christian and um, and then uh, went to college. And right after college, I got uh, married. And, uh, and then my first job was at a CBS affiliate uh, as a TV news reporter. And then later, as you all say, um, I was a presenter. Uh, we say newscaster or something else. But... Um, Harvey Appleton taught me that term. I had never heard that term. You know Harvey. He's kind of invisible. He's like the rabbit, if you know that story. So anyway, um, then um, at the end of my time at uh, TV News, I just felt that there was a desire that I wanted to go into ministry as a pastor. And I... Everybody's in ministry. If you're in the marketplace, that is your ministry. That's your full-time ministry as you minister to the people in your offices, your neighborhoods, your homes. Uh, but some are called to be pastors, to be coaches. Uh, you all kick in the goals, and we are on the sidelines. And uh, so I felt called to be a, a pastor. And we were... Um, <laughs> I was uh, commissioned in front of my home church. You go up front and they lay hands on you. It was very meaningful, very emotional. And then I went off to seminary. And two weeks after I arrived in seminary at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, uh, my wife surprised me and said, you know, um, I don't love you and I never did. And I was stunned. We had two weeks of emergency uh, marriage counseling. And then she took off, and uh, nine months later, we were divorced. And, you know, I was uh, raised uh, both culturally and as a Christian that divorce should not be an option, and that uh, if things are tough, you roll up your sleeves and, and try harder. But in America, I don't know if you have this in, in the UK, uh, we have something called no-fault divorce, and so if anyone desires it, um, you get it. And then I realize the commitment of divorce is really based on the the lower denominator. Uh, and whoever has the least commitment is really based on that. And so that was very hard. And right after the divorce, she, she married somebody I didn't even exist, know existed. Uh, like 30 days after um, the divorce, she got married. And then a year later, she sent me a baby announcement. I don't know why she did that. That wasn't very nice. So um, when I... I actually got the divorce papers when I was in seminary. Uh, You can imagine, I, I was so traumatized by that. And the next day was my New Testament survey exam. And I flunked it. I totally flunked it. The exam was very hard. They could pick any book of the New Testament and you would have to write out the whole outline of that book. And they would pick three books. And I just couldn't remember everything. You know, it was like, they picked John and like okay John. Uh, in the beginning was a word and then um, let's see, born again. Nicodemus was chapter three and then let's see, woman at the well was at five or four. Or was at the pool of Bethesda, and I just couldn't remember and I I flunked it and it was fifty percent of your grade, and so my time in seminary was actually what I would call the wilderness years, uh, just as Jesus has forty days at the beginning of his ministry, uh, in the wilderness meeting Satan. I. Um, I, it was a really hard time, but it was a good time in that I felt that if I said to the Lord, if the Bible is going to be true, it has to be true for me and in my situation. And it was a time of tremendous sadness and, and low self-esteem. It was so low that I could walk under a closed door, and I just had a lot of doubts about myself, and I had friends who felt I shouldn't be a pastor because um, I went through a divorce, And they were saying very weird and mean things like, well, nobody would trust you with a youth group. I mean, what if you had to drive some girls home at night? What would the parents say? And I thought, wow, like I didn't assault anybody, and I went through a divorce that I didn't want, and now I'm this horrible person. And, but fortunately, along the way, some people really mentored me in my times of suffering. And one was a woman named Ada Lum, who worked a lot in England, Uh, with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, and she was very close to InterVarsity. And she met me at the Los Angeles airport on a layover, and she felt she had to give me a word of encouragement, and she gave me this passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31 um, and uh, beyond. And it says this. uh, Simon is the apostle Peter. Uh, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. And I thought, wow, what a metaphor. You know, my mom years ago would have this sifter as a metal can, and you put flour in it, and you turn a crank, and these metal bars would turn and push the flour through the metal grids. And all of us, especially in the last two years, there have been certain grids that we feel our soul has been pushed through, and and maybe our, our spiritual hearts and limbs have been torn apart and Satan is desiring to sift us like weed. But in verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And that rocked me that the Lord is actually praying for us that we're gonna make it through. And sometimes I know we're desperately praying to him, but has it ever occurred to us that he prays for us? And what is he praying for? Is he praying that we'll always be happy? or our suffering or pain will go immediately away. He's praying, says this, that your faith may not fail. What he really wants, he desires, is that we'll trust him and that our faith will be strong and we can hang in there and know that the Lord is with us. And then comes the next verse, and and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So, When you get healthy, when you turn back, the goal is not that you live happily ever after or you can just have, I don't know, 10 cars and eat well. The the goal is that you will strengthen others, strengthen your brothers and sisters. And that's what he really hopes for you, that all the pain that you have, what you've learned, all the lessons, that when you turn around, will you please use that and help others. And know that the Lord is with you. He's praying for you. And we need to hear that, especially during these last couple of years. They've been horrible. And maybe some of you, as in my church, you've lost loved ones during this time. And it can really tear us apart and gut us. And then she shared another verse, John 16, 33, um, and a little beyond, where it says this. Jesus says, these things I've spoken unto you. For in me, that you may have peace. You may have peace if you follow him. You may not if you do something else. But he really desires you have this rock peace that even if you're in the trough of life, you have this peace in the midst of pain and not apart from pain. And he said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. And that was a stunning phrase for me that you are gonna have trouble. You probably will be be betrayed. If the Lord was betrayed, why should I be exempt from that? And I was betrayed in the marital vows. He says, you're going to have tribulation. And I know that sounds like a real downer from Jesus. But then he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. That he's in control. And again, even though you're in pain, you can have peace. And be of good cheer. He's in control. So trust him. And so sometimes we just need a a higher, as AA says, a higher power. And we call that name the Lord or Jesus. But we need a higher power to tell us that we're okay and that we're not rubbish. We're not garbage. And there are enough people in our lives who may be telling us that we're garbage or that we're rubbish. And... What occurs to me is when I saw this episode of MasterChef with Gordon Ramsay, I thought, what a wonderful metaphor this is. Um, In this show, MasterChef, in case you haven't seen it, there are a number of contestants who are uh, amateur chefs or maybe they're a a cook, but they're not at a fancy restaurant. And they compete against each other, and every week they eliminate one contestant uh, based on his or her cooking or baking. And in this episode, there's a woman named Christine Ha, and she is completely blind. And in this episode, they're supposed to make dessert, and they're going to be judged on, do they make a good dessert? Are you still in or out? And so I want to show you this little, short, two-minute clip of when Christine Ha's turn is to submit her dessert and how Gordon Ramsay, who is the authority in the show, uh, judges her, um, her baking. So let's- Christine um, let has the last tonight. pie to be tasted before the judges decide who will be sent home.
1: How are you, Christine? I'm all right, chef. Okay, first of all, I've never seen you that flustered. And then, with barely 18 minutes to go, you still were not in the oven with your apple pie?
0: Honestly, chef, there's just no excuse. I just was flustered. And I just i am not experienced with making pie at all. So there's just really no excuse.
1: What do you think this pie looks like? I think it probably looks like a pile of rubbish. Visually, it looks stunning. It's got a nice crisp, dark brown color on the edge. Thank you, chef. The sugar has almost glazed the pastry. And it looks as delicious as Frank's. So stop doubting yourself. Be bold. Yes, Chef. Okay. Pie underneath. The pastry looks cooked. Can you hear that on top? Yes, Chef. What does that sound like to you? It
0: sounds
1: good and crusty. Good and crusty. So stop feeling upset with yourself. OK? You've got to start believing yourself more. OK? Come on. Come on. Right.
0: Hear that? Yes, Chef.
1: There's not a soggy patch on there. That's all the way round. OK? Can you hear that? On the balcony, you can hear that, right? Yes, 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 yes sir. Chef. and it's intact, right in front of your very eyes. I have a wedge.
0: Oh, thank God.
1: Of a beautiful apple pie. And the flavor. The flavor's amazing. Okay. It's delicious. So, well done. Okay. Congratulations. Really
0: good job. I think sometimes we are blind. We're blind to the goodness of God who's saying, you're not as bad as you think, and we're blind to the gifts God has given us, and um, we think we are rubbish. What we've done is rubbish. Or like with me, told Dan, you should never become a pastor because... Maybe in God's eyes, you're rubbish because you've sinned. The amazing thing is, spoiler alert, since it's a very old episode, you go through like 12 shows and in the end, Christine Ha wins. She is the master chef. So, um... Went through, uh, I actually went to film school after, at USC after uh, seminary, because again, it was a lingering thought. You shouldn't be a pastor. I'll go into filming, because TV was my background. And then somehow in my last year of film school, some friends confronted me and said, you really should be a pastor. And I said, no. And they said, no, you really should. And somehow, and I have some amnesia there, in four months, um, things changed, and when First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu contacted me, they said, "Would you apply to be assistant pastor?" And they said they had this feel like, "Let's give this kid a chance. He's out of seminary. He's never worked in a church. He's divorced, but maybe he'll work out." And I never forgot God's grace or their grace in me. And um, and by God's grace, about a year and a half into my pastorate, um, Pam and I got married. And that was a wonderful gift from God. God then called Pam and me to go to uh, Menlo Park. That's in Silicon Valley in California, near Stanford. And I was asked to start a singles department. Like, who does that? Start a singles department for those never married, widowed, or divorced. And I thought, sure, let's let's do it. And so we went there. And by God's grace, in three years, the ministry exploded to 3,000 singles. They were looking for a place that they would experience God's love and that they're not rubbish and that they would be accepted. And now I tell you this, um, to, to again, not to say how, how great I am as a pastor, but is again God's grace of how he created this to happen and you know, when I went there, it was really hard because my first meeting with the singles, there was about 100 there, and about the fifth or eighth row was a man named Chuck. And he stood up in this meeting and he said, what right do you have to come to be our pastor? You come um, married to Pam, who's pregnant with your first child, you're married, we're single, you don't know anything of our pain, we're divorced, you're not. And I said, um, actually, I was divorced, and he literally said this, well, come on in then. (laughs) But this was an experience, just as the uh, Luke passage, that the Lord um, said, I'll pray for you and strengthen you, but please strengthen your brothers and sisters. So I actually used something that was very painful, very traumatic in my life, to bring singles to Christ and make them, help them feel that they had a home um, with the Lord. And, um, and so it's very important that even though it exploded and went to 3,000, that we should never, ever be prideful when we see these phenomenal things happen. And you guys have done amazing festivals and way more than 3,000. But I, I learned from the Old Testament that, you know, there was an incident at the waters of Meribah where... Um, these people were grumbling, uh, the Israelites were grumbling that they didn't have enough water. And uh, the Lord told Moses, we'll speak to a rock and water will come out. But Moses kind of perverted what the Lord said. And he said, must we bring water out of this rock? He said, we, meaning the Lord and I are gonna do this. And God got really ticked off and said, what do you mean we? <laughs> In essence, he was saying, I, I do it all. And I always remembered that because Moses struck the rock twice and God told him just to speak to it. And because of that sin of Moses, God said, you're not going to the promised land because you're, you're getting too weird about this. And um, so when we do get prideful, we have to be careful we don't strike the rock twice and see, look what we have, have done. Um, so don't hit the rock twice. I mean, Will Smith only hit a rock once. (laughs) Such a bad joke, Mike. I told you it would (laughs) work. Then another sadness hit me. My father died unexpectedly, and I actually left the pastorate. I didn't know if I'd ever become a pastor. I flew back to Hawaii to help my mom. And Pam and I flew back, and we worked full time for Hawaiian Islands Ministries, which we call HIM for short. And it's basically a ministry to train church leaders and create a base for renewal or revival in the islands. And that's the ministry that Andy and Mike and Tom have been uh, so strong in, and helping us create this environment uh, for Hawaii. And uh, and then um, the Lord called me to be senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church. And um, come August, that will be my 28th anniversary of being senior pastor. I started when I was two, and it's just amazing that that, (laughs) that's happened. And again, it's God's grace. I'm super happy at that church, and we saw some growth. Um, But I realized now that as a senior pastor, I was really dense. And you may look back at your life and just say amazingly dense, stupid, dumb things that you have done. And now you realize, oh my god, why did I do that? I mean, I didn't even get Alpha. I didn't get the Alpha course. Some guy named Nicky Gumbel, his wife, Pippa, came to our church. And Nicky and Silva Lee and, um, um, what is his name? Ken Costa? They all flew in. They're like the top, top leaders of Alpha and they did the presentation, and I didn't get it. And, um, and then Compassion International, um, people wanted us to uh, start their program at our church, and I thought, there's so many human relief organizations, why them? And they want to release children in poverty. In Jesus' name, you sponsor kids. And, um, but see, today, for Alpha, we're one of the Alpha hub churches in which we train not only our church, but other leaders of how to run Alpha. And in fact, last month we had like 300 involved in Alpha at our church. And at Compassion International, we've now become, um, we've helped create this movement in Hawaii. And, um, and the Lord has uh, allowed this to happen that we are, Hawaii is the top children's sponsor per capita in all of the United States except for Colorado where the headquarters is of, of Compassion. And I don't know how that happened. And and then, then the third dumb thing was the charismatic theology. I, um, I didn't realize it, but it turned out I was actually a cessationist where I felt healing ended with Jesus and the apostles. And because I, I just watched too much TV of TV evangelists who would say outrageous things, and I just didn't trust them. I thought they were charlatans. And when people would jump out of the wheelchair, I thought, no, they were probably well before, and when a certain one would wave his hand, like hundreds would fall down, and I just thought, no, no, can't, that can't be, and then um, one part of our campus is kind of pretty, and this TV evangelist wanted to record his show and use our campus as the background, and then I heard him say while I was standing in the back that, you know, the Lord has just told me, you widows out there, um, if you give me $5,000 now, you will be blessed and you'll get healed. And I was like, that's it, you know, we're not gonna have this guy again. And I actually talked to the producer and said, you can't do that. Um, Of course, I have such a heart for widows being a former singles pastor. So it was just not cool. And what's embarrassing as a pastor, it meant that when I went to hospitals and prayed for people, I didn't expect them to get healed. I just thought my presence would comfort them. I, I was like really messed up in my brain. And so one of the reasons I'm so slow in understanding God is I get the message from God all mixed up. I recall once I was in another country traveling with Pam and our kids, and I was in one room with my teenage son, Dylan, and she was in another room with the other kids, and it was 10.30 at night, and I was, I was in bed, sleeping, and suddenly the phone rings, and this man says, um, we have a message for you. And I'm, you know, I'm in a foreign country, and I just said, I, I would like my message. Um, but you need to speak in English. I need it in English. And the person hangs up on me, like so irritating. And, uh, and then five minutes later, again, the phone rings, and I'm also smelling smoke, and I'm thinking, is there a fire? Or maybe it's just somebody smoking in the hallways. And the person says on the phone, we have a message for you. And I said, I want my message. I, I want it now, but I need it in English. And he hangs up on me. So exasperating. And so I actually got up, opened the door of the hallway to look out, to see, is there a fire? And um, nothing's happening there. So I shut the door go back to bed. And like 10 minutes later, the phone rings again. And the man says, we have a message for you. And, and then I get really upset, trying to be pastoral, raise my voice a little bit. I said, look, I would like my message I want it now, and I want it in English, and he hangs up on me. Ah. So I go back to bed, and then there's a knock on the door. I thought, oh my Lord, there is a fire. So I run to the door, open up the door, and there's this pretty young lady. And she said, did you call me? And I said, no. And she walks into my room, And I'm thinking, for the sake of the girl, you shouldn't walk into strangers' rooms. It's not safe. And she's really close to me, and I'm thinking, you know, this culture's interpersonal space is, like, way too close. And she said, you called for me. And then it hit me when she gave me this kind of sexy come-hither look, like, oh, my God. This is why you're in my room. I said, no, no, I didn't call you. And then she looked at my teenage son sleeping in the next bed. He goes, he called me. I said, no, he didn't call you either. So... Thank you. Why don't you like head on out of the door? And she goes out, and then the phone rings again. And this is my tour guide, our tour guide, and he says, um, "Mr. Chun, um, you didn't answer your phone tonight, did you?" I go, "Yeah," and he says, "Very, very bad. Very, very bad." I go, "Why?" He goes. He says, "What happens is these women come inside and get a hotel room inside the hotel, so they have access to the phone machine, uh, phone system." And they're actually what we call comfort women, but they are there to um, service you in a sexual way. I said, oh, man. So, yeah, I I did let her in, but she's gone now. And then it hit me. They weren't saying message, they were saying massage. (laughs) And I was saying, I want it, I want it now, and I want it in English. (laughs) So they're taking their time trying to find a woman who could speak English to give me a massage and service me. (laughs) So one of the high points, takeaways from this sermon is don't let the massage of the world get mixed up with the message of the word. (laughs) Okay, then something else happened that was very, actually traumatizing for me, is that my mom got lung cancer. And they discovered it in 2000. And it spread to her bones all over her body and her back. And back then in 2000, once cancer goes into the bone, there was no medicine to take it out of the bone. And the oncologist said she has months, maybe four months to live. And so I prayed, the church prayed, many people prayed. And um, let me show you what it looked like. There's a bone scan. And and so everywhere that's dark, that's the cancer in my mom's body. See, up in her brain area, down the back. I mean, it is ribs. It's all over. Well, we prayed and prayed and prayed. And then in 2002 is this bone scan. It's gone. Except for the ink went into the wrists and some of the bladder area where the ink came out. But it was all completely gone. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, Dan, there's the healing stories, but there's no medical proof. Well, this was it. And even two of the radiologists who are not Christian, they said, this is a miracle. We have never, ever seen this happen before. Um, And then, uh, in 2002, also this year, we had a conference in California, and um, it was the HIM Conference of Hawaiian Islands Ministries. And in our conferences, they're ecumenical, and so we have everybody present teaching. So the charismatics can do their stuff on healing and everything, and, and others do their thing. And, um, and my fr- our friend, uh, David Bunker, went, and for 52 years, he suffered from a nerve atrophy disease and polio. And so he came to the conference with braces on his legs and crutches, and he went to a seminar and the next day I was sitting in the front row and I was just like taking notes getting ready for my uh, notices and uh, He shows up and stands next to me and says look Dan and he has no Crutches and he's holding his braces. I said what happened? And he said well, I went to your healing seminar uh, last night and I and I got healed and I thought no No, no, no. We just teach healing. Nobody gets healed. We just teach healing. No one's supposed to get healed. And he goes, well, I was. And also was a friend's sister who had a bad back from for 17 years of painful suffering due to a car accident, and she got instantly healed too. And so that really threw me, and I trusted these people, and I've known David for 17 years, so I knew he wasn't fake. So when I came back, I came out of my charismatic closet and told my congregation that, you know what, I, I do believe in healing now. And, and after that sermon, three days later, a woman named Jean Hood called me and said, hey, Dan, just want you to know, I've been deaf in my right ear for 12 years. And uh, just before you ended your sermon, um, I got healed. It was an email. Just thought you wanted to know. That was her last line. Just wanted to know. So I called her up and said, Jean, what happened? She goes, I don't know. Like, I thought the sound man slipped on the on the sound knob and made it really loud. And she said, second, when I went to the Lanai, I thought, why is everybody speaking so loud? And when I got into my VW bug, my daughter, 14-year-old daughter on my right side, I could hear her. And I didn't have to turn the radio up really loud to get to, you know, the, the good ear. And then I thought, what did I say? And then that night at a men's Bible study, it hit me. I closed my sermon with with the verse of Jesus talking to the friends of John the Baptist, and he said, go and tell him what you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and then six good news is preached to the poor. I counted back three sentences, and somehow when I said the deaf hear, the Lord used that time to heal Jean's ear. So I told the church, "Okay, we're going to have a healing service uh, next month. Um, never done it. Don't know what I'm doing." Um, and we, I picked the fellowship hall, which holds about two twenty-five. I didn't want to put in the sanctuary five hundred because I didn't know what I was doing. And lo and behold, that night, three hundred sixty people showed up, and they were in wheelchairs and crutches. One was in a gurney. And I remember saying to God, "Couldn't we have started with headaches?" Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so many people got healed that night. And, uh, and over the years, I've actually seen people get healed from deafness and seen lame walk and the dead rise, if you call five people we prayed for that came out of comas. And I was still such a rookie and I didn't know what I was doing. But then God again saved me in my slowness on June 15, 2014, God introduced me to a man named Mike Pilobachi. And um, well, we have a picture of the day we first met him, Pam and I met him, in near Malibu, California, uh, where my son Dylan got baptized. And Mike was um, one of the most stylish dressers I've ever met, <laughs> so chic, very Gucci. I was just blown away with his artistic sense. And as you can see, as he's just here. (laughs) But seriously, everybody, in the last um, years, Mike and Andy and Tom, soul survivor, you all, uh, and yes, they do work very hard, have been critically important in leading my church and Hawaiian Islands Ministries in the whole understanding of God's love and understand a proper, grace-filled understanding of the Holy Spirit, a gentle, orthodox, spirit-led theology. And I had been longing for ages for a practicum of theology that made sense far from the crazy televangelist days that I was affected at. And no other church, no other ministry other than Soul Survivor has had as much impact on my life, my church, on our family, on what the islands, uh, for the islands, as what Mike and Andy and Tom and your church have done. So do know that. Praise God for all of you. And uh, and evidence of that in the last hymn conference for youth, we had 325 youth, and we survey them, 71% of the teenagers committed their lives to Christ for the first time or was a renewed commitment. And we had never seen that in our state, or at least our conferences, it was more like 10% or something. Okay, one last story. And that is... um, I'm a trustee at Fuller Seminary in California now, and one night they decided that the trustees go to all these different student homes and that students could come over. They would invite four or five students to meet with the trustee and ask him anything they would want to. And when we went to our apartment, uh, the hostess said, I'm so embarrassed, all four of the guests I was inviting uh, blew you off. They didn't want to meet you. I thought, oh, great. And uh, so she said, I'm just going to invite all my neighbors and have them all come in. I said, great, great, great. Have all these fuller students come in. And um, while during dinner, at the end of dinner, uh, one of the, I asked one of the students, hey, where do you live? And she said, uh, 250 North Oakland. And I said, that's funny. That's where I used to live. Uh, what apartment? And she said, apartment eight. And I said, that was the apartment I used to live in. And she says, you want to see it? And I said, no, I don't wanna see it. And Pam said, yeah, let's go see it. So, okay, so we went up to the apartment, and we walked in, and I was caught off guard. Suddenly, I had this humongous wave of grief that all those years came back to me. The loneliness, the depression, the sadness. I could remember when Dominic and Cindy came there, when the the notice came, the divorce papers came, And then it's kind of like a wave that goes out and then the wave that comes in. Suddenly I was hit with this wave of grace. And it was like God was saying something to me and it was like, well, wait a minute. I'm standing in this same apartment many years later standing next to Pam, who's been my wife as of last December for 40 years. And we've had three wonderful kids who all love the Lord. And then I thought Pam and I started Hawaiian Islands Ministries that probably has equipped maybe 90,000 church leaders. This is from the guy who wasn't even supposed to be connected to a church. And by God's grace, our Presbyterian church, when we left our denomination in 2014, we were, to go to another Presbyterian denomination, um, we were the 38th largest church out of 10,000 in the denomination. The guy who's not supposed to be a pastor who doesn't know what he's doing. And then I thought about, and I'm the guy who flunked, got an F on my New Testament survey final exam. And I'm a trustee of this seminary now. <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing is, many years later, I, I just, I, like five, seven years ago, I, I met that professor again. They were at a coffee shop. And I told him, you know why I got the F? is because I got divorce papers the night before. He goes, why didn't you tell me? And he, he rips out a, a, a page out of uh, some notebook. And he, he just wrote on it that, I, Don Williams, now change your grade to an A. And he signed it. Like redemption. So let me end this talk by just sharing with you one of my favorite verses. And it's Isaiah 41.10 that says this. This is God speaking, and that he's speaking this to all of you today. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am, and I love this part, I am your God, I'm your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will lift you up with my victorious right hand. Amen? Amen.